Hey, good evening. Glad that you're here tonight. I don't know who's here tonight, but if you are, glad you're here. Uh, hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday. I hope that you can hear me. I'm going to change your two to my uh, microphone. So I hope that it's better, or at least just as good. I've got, uh, I got my director and producer with me, and I also have, my dog is always here. It just so happens that tonight she's laying on that side of the room where you can see her. My dog has listened to every sermon I think I've ever preached. She still won't. She still won't change. She won't change. She's stubborn. We're glad that you're here. I should be able to see the comments, shouldn't I? Why can't I see the comments? It would just distract me. Hey, it's seven o'clock, we're gonna get started, but those of you who are here a little bit early, my icebreaker is I want you to think about um, your favorite toy growing up. Whatever toy you had, it was like your all time favorite, the one that you played with the most. I want you to think about that. In fact, I want you to share it. Tell us what toy you played with the most. What was your favorite toy? Um, I went back, and I, I'm gonna tell you right off the bat, if you're really, really young, you're not going to fall into my uh, uh, parameters. If you're really old, you're not going to fall into my parameters either. But uh, I went online today and I Googled the most popular toys of all time. And the first site that came up gave me the top five most popular toys of all time. And they were a stick, a box, dirt, um, string, and a tree. I thought, okay, that's going back way too far. So I, re I refined my search a little bit for like the past 50 years. So, um, and, and I found a list of the most um, significant, I think was the word that they used, most significant toys of the past 50 years. And while we're waiting and while you're thinking about what your favorite toy was growing up, I'm going to tell you what mine was. And what came to mind, I, I was thinking, what was my favorite toy? And it would have to be any kind of ball. I, I played with any kind of ball, and that's really what I played the most with. Grew up on a farm. I was the youngest of four kids, so I was always playing by myself. It's a little bit embarrassing to tell you this, but I played thousands of baseball games, nine-inning games with myself, bouncing a rubber ball off the side of the barn. I played basketball for hours on a rim that was about 14 feet tall on the side of the barn. I played hundreds of football games by myself. I would kick the football up into this tree that we had. And as it came down through the limbs, if I could catch it, it was a five yard completion. If I couldn't catch it, it was an incomplete pass. And I'd play whole games that way. Uh, I was a sad little boy, very sad little boy. But those were my favorite toys. But I want you to think about uh, your favorite toy. First, let, let us know that you're here. Let, let us all know that you're online and watching. 
you check in and say hi. Um, and then if you don't mind, share your favorite toy. I told you I, I looked and I found the 10 most significant toys of the past 50 years. I want to share them with you. And what I'd like you to do is um, keep track of how many of these 10 that you have. Because I suspect that most of us probably had, if not all of them, at least most of these, the most significant toys of the last 50 years. Here you go. Uh, <clears throat> most significant toys. Number one, Slinky. We all had a Slinky, right? Slinky the Slinky, for fun it's a wonderful toy. Yeah. Uh, number two, Play-Doh. Best thing about Play-Doh? The way it smelled. Uh, number three, Etch-a-Sketch, which all you could really do is make the stair steps, but we all had an Etch-a-Sketch. Number four, I did not have a Rubik's Cube. Most influential toy of the last 50 years, in, uh, Rubik's Cube. I didn't know until uh, like this year, I think, that you could look up online a pattern to solve a Rubik's Cube. Never knew that. Uh, number five, the old Viewmaster. Remember those, the Viewmaster, the 3D things, put the little link, tink, tink, tink. Uh, influential, apparently. Number six, Silly Putty. Stick them on the magazine or on the newspaper, pull it up. Yeah. Number seven, Legos. I was too old for Legos. Legos were after my time. Influential toy. Uh, number eight, Mr. Potato Head. How many of you had a Mr. Potato Head? Probably just about all of us. I remember back when Mr. Potato Head didn't come with the potato. You had to supply your own potato, which was no problem for us. I lived on a potato farm, so we had a Mr. Potato Head. Uh, number nine of the, the most influential toys. If you're a, a, a female, Barbie. If you're a male, G.I. Joe. Barbie and G.I. Joe. And then number 10, again, if you're a if you're a female, the Easy Bake Oven. If you're a male, Hot Wheels. So there you go. The 10 most influential toys of all time. I want you to post how many of those you owned. Let me read them off again real fast. There's 10 of them. Slinky, Play-Doh, Etch-a-Sketch, Rubik's Cube, Viewmaster, Silly Putty, Legos, Mr. Potato Head, Barbie or G.I. Joe, Easy Bake Oven, or Hot Wheels. How many of you had 10 out of 10 of those toys? And maybe what's probably more interesting, how many of you had like one or two? Um, how many of you grew up with none of those toys? Which is probably a good thing. I don't know. You probably should be bragging about that. Um, but then also, I want to really quickly, we're going somewhere, by the way. There's, there's a reason for this weird icebreaker. Um, I want you to think too about the childhood games that you played. And again, I Googled the most popular childhood games of all time. Here you go, the top five, according to someone. Tag, yeah, sure. Uh, number two, Cowboys and Indians. I'm not sure that's politically correct anymore, but Cowboys and Indians, number two on uh, the most popular childhood games. Number three, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Timmy come over. He said, man, call my name. Um, number four is Skip and Rope. And number five, Hide and Seek. And 
really, this whole thing has been getting to hide and seek. The whole reason I had this as an as a, uh, icebreaker is so I could mention something about hide and seek. We've all played hide and seek. It's one of those worldwide games, I'm sure, but everybody knows the rules to hide and seek. One person closes his eyes, everybody else hides. You count to some predetermined number and somehow all across at least America, everyone knows what you say at the end of the count. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Martha grew up in Alabama. We had friends that grew, you know, that I, I've met all over uh, the country, but everybody knows what to say when you're done counting. Apples, peaches, pumpkin pie. Who's not ready? Holler, I. And then you don't really give a chance for anybody to holler, I. You just shout, what? What do you shout, Martha? Ready or not, here I come. It's universal. Everybody knows that. I want you to think tonight, how many times in your life you have thought, I'm not ready. I'm just not ready. You know, I, I think I could argue that just about every significant life event that we face, every major crossroad that we deal with, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I bet almost all of us could say all those really huge life events, I remember thinking, I'm not ready for that. I'm just not ready for that. I remember so vividly, I remember when all my kids were born, but I remember especially when my first child was born, when my daughter was born. Uh, Martha and I didn't have kids for about five years, and I remember she uh, we were sitting on a, a porch swing uh, one afternoon, and she said, at Harold's Farm Supply, Farm Supply. yeah. And, and she said, do you think it's about time we start at least thinking about starting a family? And I was like, um, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm kind of loving life, but yeah, we're not getting any younger, <laughs> which of course we were kids, but we're not getting any younger. So yeah, I guess it's probably about time to start thinking about it. And she said, well, I'm so glad you said that because I'm pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so for nine months, you know, as first time parents, we prepared as much as we could. We got the nursery ready. We, I, both of us, but I went to the classes, the childbirth classes and what to expect. And we read all the books. Yeah, you did too. Martha did too. But of course she was going to, she wanted to. Um, and of course I wanted to too. I didn't want to. But we went, we prepared, you know, Maggie is born. She was perfect. She was beautiful. I know all babies are beautiful, but she was more beautiful than all babies. And I remember the first time I held her and these big blue eyes, this beautiful little baby. And I looked down into that face and I was just overcome with this unbelievable feeling of fear. Thought I was going to say love, right? I was overcome with that too, but but I was just overcome with fear. And I remember telling Martha, you know, what if we do it all wrong? I mean, what if she starts crying and we can't get her to stop? What if she gets sick and we don't know what to do? What if we don't feed her enough? What if we feed her too much? 
What if we don't discipline her enough? What if we discipline her too much? What if, what if I drop her on her head? I mean, what if we just take this perfect baby and completely mess her up? And Martha, in her very calm, reserved, wise way, said, sweetie, we can always have more children. And, you know, she was right. It worked out. Well, I don't think we messed it up too much. But I remember thinking, I am not ready for this. And kind of funny, talking about the wheel turning around, 18 years later, Maggie was just getting ready to go away to college. In fact, she was all packed. The night before she was to leave for college, she walked into our bedroom. She sat down on the edge of the bed. She said, I am not ready for college. And she's like on the verge of tears. She said, Mom, Dad, you did not prepare me for college. I'm not ready. And I said, sweetie, you are. You are so ready for this. You've been preparing for this your whole life. You're going to do great. Now, just because you don't feel like you're ready doesn't mean that you're not ready. Besides, we've already made plans for your bedroom. So, you know, you got to go. And she went and she did great. But I'm not sure we ever feel ready for the biggest challenges in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that that's, that's an excuse for lack of preparation, okay? I'm not saying don't even try getting ready um, because that's, that's crazy. No, I, I think we should try to prepare and equip ourselves and all those things. I'm just saying from an emotional point, um, I think most of those life events and most of those really big crossroads in our life most of us kind of enter those things going, mm, I'm not exactly sure I'm ready for this. Now, I, I want to kind of flip this to a, you know, a spiritual application, obviously. When you look in the Bible, you'll see that God is constantly using people who say yes, but people who don't necessarily feel like they're ready. I mean, it's a theme all through Scripture. God approaches someone, he has a challenge for them, he has a job for them. And a lot of times people say no, but even the people who say yes, you always sort of get a sense that they're not quite sure that God's making the right choice. And they're not sure that they're really capable of uh, doing what God is calling them to do. In fact, I can't think of any instance in the scripture when God called someone to do something and the person replied by saying, Wow, God, your timing could not be better. I am so ready to do what you just asked me to do. I am your man, God. I am your woman. I mean, this is the perfect time in my life. I really don't have anything else going on. I'm like, this, this falls right into my wheelhouse. Absolutely. I'm ready to go. I don't remember anyone in Scripture responding to God's call that way. In fact, I can remember a whole lot of people who said, wait a minute, God, <laughs> I'm not sure you got the right person. And even if you think I'm the right person, I don't think I'm ready. Let me share with you a, a, a couple examples. We're going to get to Jesus, by the way. But let me share with you a couple examples. And the first one, obviously, that comes to mind is Moses. Remember, God comes to Moses and he tells Moses, I want you to go to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to demand that Pharaoh let his entire free workforce leave. You remember Moses' response? 
Moses is like, I will give you three good reasons why that just can't happen. Moses, his response is, God, listen, I'm not your guy. I am not ready to do that. In fact, he says in Exodus 3, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses says, I'm not ready to do this. But of course, we've all heard of Moses, right? And then God comes to a guy named Gideon, and he wants Gideon to liberate his people. Remember Gideon's response? It's in Judges 6, chapter, 5, or chapter 6, verse 15. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon says, I'm not ready to do that. I'm like the, the least of the least. I'm the most insignificant of the most insignificant. Or Abraham. God comes to Abraham, his wife Sarah. So I'm going to start a brand new people. I'm going to start a, a brand new uh, community. And I'm going to start with you and your wife Sarah. Remember Sarah's response? It's in Genesis chapter 8, verse 11. Since Abraham and Sarah were both very old and Sarah was long past the age of having children, she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn out woman like me have a baby, she thought, and when my master, my husband, is also so old? Sarah tells God, at least she thinks to herself, and God knows it. You think it to yourself, you're telling God. Sarah says, I can't do this. Not only am I not ready to do this, I'm not able to do this. God, you should have come asking this a couple decades ago. We were ready then, but we are too old right now. No, but of course, we've all heard of Isaac, right? Uh, God comes to a guy by the name of Jeremiah, and he tells this guy, Jeremiah, I want you to be my spokesman. I want you to speak for me. And Jeremiah's response is actually just the opposite of Sarah's response. Jeremiah doesn't say, I'm too old. Jeremiah says, God, I'm too young. I'm not ready for that. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. Oh, Lord God, I said, I can't do that. I'm far too young. I'm only a youth. And Jeremiah has actually a, a, a pretty great response to God. He says, uh, uh, oh, Lord God. It's great worship. He acknowledges God is Lord, but then he follows that up with doubt. You're the Lord God, but I'm just a kid. I'm not ready to do that. Okay, all these people that, that tell God, I'm not ready. Now, I want to take a time out for just a second, because I know what you're thinking. See, this is Wednesday night. I am being watched and listened to by, if not Bible scholars, at least Bible students, and I made a statement that I can't think of anybody that told God, man, I'm ready to go. And for some reason, my comments are turned off, but I'd be a little bit surprised if someone hasn't commented, what about Isaiah? Anybody comment Isaiah? No. No. Well, you should have. <laughs> uh, you know, God's famous uh, question, who will we send and who will go? And Isaiah's famous retort, here am I. Lord, send me. Gary just said it. He's okay. Six, eight, nine, Gary six, just said here it. Am I. Yeah. Here am I, Lord, send me. You've never heard that song, have you? Martha has. We ought to sing that song, Dave. Let's sing here. No, no, we shouldn't. We should definitely not sing that song. Um, it's an old song. Um, 
Yeah, Isaiah did say, here am I, send me. But I'm going to argue that even though he said yes, I'm not sure he felt ready. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, or chapter 6, yeah, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Um, Isaiah volunteered to go. I'm not sure he felt ready. Might be wrong on Isaiah. But really, the list goes on and on, all through Scripture. A Jewish girl by the name of Esther. God says, say, I want you to go uh, approach the king, and I want them tapping you to save my people. And, of course, that was a time when if you approached the king without being summoned, uh, you could be put to death. You know, Esther's like, man, this is going to really be dangerous. Not sure I'm ready for that. But she went. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus calls a wealthy young ruler said, follow me, say what you have, follow me. Um, he wasn't ready to do that. And the reason he wasn't ready to do that because he was too rich and he couldn't do that. In the Old Testament, there's a woman by the name of Ruth. She has a moment where she enters this divine story, but hers is the opposite uh, condition of the rich young ruler. She's not rich, she's poor. Famine going on, she has nothing. Think about Saul, the very first king of Israel, stood head and shoulders above the rest. And Samuel goes and finds Saul, and Samuel is going to anoint Saul king. But Saul's like, I'm not ready for that. In fact, when it's time to anoint Saul as king, nobody can find Saul. And God is actually the one who knows where Saul is. It's 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22. They asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. And he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Did Saul feel ready? Absolutely not. He was hiding among the baggage. You know, um, as far as people feeling ready, and God has heard every excuse. I'm not articulate enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. It's too dangerous. I'm too sinful. Too much baggage. God has heard all of our excuses. Very rarely does God hear, okay, I'm ready. But here's the great thing about God. Um, God loves people who say yes, even when they really want to say no. You know, when someone says, okay, ready or not, here I go. God loves that attitude. God loves people who will say yes when, when their heart maybe is telling them, uh, man, I'm not ready for this. God loves people who will step out on faith. Uh, so let's get to Jesus. You know, we're talking about Jesus here on Wednesday nights. This is a lot of introduction to get where I want to go. Um, but I want to look at one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I think as an icebreaker, I uh, listed my top five or ten or something uh, most significant passages in Scripture, and this was one of them. I, I think this was like number two, and it probably should have been number one. Um, it's actually kind of a not-ready story. It's after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus is about to be ascended back into heaven. But before he does, he's going to send his disciples out. Matthew chapter 28. This is going to sound 
very familiar to you. The very end of Matthew chapter 28, so you know where we're headed, uh, the Great Commission. Let me read it for you. Although I shouldn't have to and you shouldn't need me to. Matthew 28, I'm actually going to back up to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you, even until the end of the age. Jesus gives his uh, followers this tremendous challenge, this, this great commission that we call it. Uh, and we call it the Great Commission because, one, it's so important, but also it is so comprehensive. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If you look through the, the Great Commission and that, that thought of all just kind of permeates that whole commission. All authority has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, all the time, to the end of the age. This is, this is a really big commission, a really big challenge that Jesus is, is uh, issuing here. It's like, it's like the Great Commission, right? And I think maybe he is challenging some men who aren't quite sure they're ready for the challenge yet. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I might be wrong about this, but I might be right. <laughs> so at least if we can think about this and you know challenge ourselves a little bit, that's good. Um, but we get a little bit of a hint that maybe these men didn't feel like they were completely ready to do what Jesus is asking them to do. Let me back up again to chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But notice what Matthew says next. But some doubted. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now in my announcement today, my... Uh, Teaser, I guess. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, doubt. Well, as Christians, we shouldn't be doubting anything, right? We're, we should have all this confidence and, and all these assurances and all these promises. But how come so many of us find ourselves doubting? I doubt. You know, I've got doubts. So what's Matthew talking about when he says, um, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I have heard a lot of sermons, and I've sat through a lot of classes on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I have preached a lot of sermons, and I've brought that passage up in a ton of sermons, a ton of classes. I have never heard a sermon preached on verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's an amazing statement that Matthew makes. I mean, you can't miss it. You can't ignore it. It's there. He put it in there for a reason. 
Um, it's right there. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What's he talking about? Who's he talking about? And again, let me be really transparent. There are a lot of really smart people with a lot more degrees behind their name than I have that have really argued over exactly what verse 17 is saying. Um, some people claim that the they that they're talking that Matthew's talking about refers to the 500 that saw Jesus at one time uh, after his resurrection that Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians. But there's nothing in the Gospels and there's really nothing in Paul's writing that would even suggest that any of those people were there that day. I've heard it explained that um, they doubted it was Jesus. You know, they were there on the mountain and Jesus is walking toward them and he's, and he's off in the distance and they weren't sure it was Jesus. Hey, there's Jesus. Uh, I doubt it. That doesn't look like Jesus, you know. And could that be the, the way, you know, could that, could that be true? Yeah, sure, it could be. But again, it, it doesn't sound like it to me. That's not what it says. Uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubt it. It would seem that the apostles went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they all worshiped. All 11 of them worshiped him. But some, more than one, doubted. What did they doubt? Who did they doubt? Did they doubt that Jesus was the Messiah? Again, that's hard for me to imagine. You know, did they doubt that Jesus was actually risen from the grave? Well, you know, Thomas probably did because Thomas was a doubter. Yeah, I don't think so. The last known conversation that we have between Thomas and Jesus, Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God. You know, he, he felt where the nails were imprinted. Yeah, I just find it almost impossible to believe that these men doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, think of the lives they lived after the resurrection. You know, think of their commitment. Think of the things they taught, the places they went, the lives they lived, the, the deaths that they died. I just can't imagine that here on the hillside, they doubted that Jesus was who he claimed to be. So what did Matthew mean? when he said they worshiped him, but some doubted. Let me give you an option. And again, I might be wrong, but I might be right. At least it will, it will help us to think about uh, some things. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Could it be? Is it possible that they doubted themselves? Is it possible that they doubted that they were ready to do what Jesus was asking them to do? I mean, Jesus is about to entrust them with the greatest commission of all time. Um, could they have had some reservations? Could they have had some doubts about their own abilities? And uh, could it be that... Uh, you know, Jesus was telling these uh, 11 guys, ready or not, you know, here's the job. Here's the call. You know, I'm sending you out. Ready or not, here you go. And of course, the great thing about the Great Commission is Jesus was not sending them out all by themselves. You know, Jesus, one of the great promises of the Great Commission 
Jesus saying, I'm with you to the very end of the age. You're not doing this alone. I'm going to be with you every day. And of course, I think the Holy Spirit certainly is going to play a part into the uh, apostles' decisions and their effectiveness. Um, but here's what I do know. I say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm uh, accurate on this or not. But I do know this: God loves to use people who might not feel like they're ready. God loves to hear people say yes, who are a little bit afraid, who might have some doubts. Not that they love God, not that they worship God, but might have some doubts about being able to do what God calls us to do. Now, when people say, God, I trust you, man, God loves to hear that. This issue of feeling ready, do I feel ready? It's not the primary indicator of being ready. And really, only God knows if we're ready or not. God's not going to call us to do something that, uh, that we can't accomplish. Now, again, can't accomplish it on our own, but we don't have to accomplish it on our own. As Christians, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have Jesus' promise with you to the end of the age. Um, so Jesus comes to us. Now go ahead. Take a risk. I want you to go. Would you love somebody? Would you connect with somebody? Would you share with somebody? Would you would you serve somebody? Would you would you go? Would you make disciples? Would you baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Would you teach them some more? In fact, teach them everything that I've commanded. Because you're not doing it by yourself. I'm with you. Till the end of the age. You know, in all honesty, we will always have reasons to say I'm not ready. We'll always have a reason to tell God, yeah, I'm just not ready to do that. In fact, usually we won't step out on faith. We're going to wait until we've got all our questions answered. And we're going to wait until we are pretty well assured of success. But that's not faith. That's not going. You, know, you never know until you go, right? Only God knows if you're ready. I'm sending you out. But I'm going to be with you. All your days, that's the promise. I'm going to be with you. We don't go because we're ready. We go because God is ready. He's ready to do what only he can do. And then he, he does this great thing. He invites us to be part of the process. He invites us to be part of the plan. I'm with you always. Every day. Now, you think of our days. We have all kind of bad days. Well, people have a lot of bad days. These last couple months have taught us that there's there's bad days in our lives. You, know, you have a, a bad hair day. I don't, but you might. Uh, bad school day, bad work day, bad energy day. Um, you're never going to have a bad Jesus day. You're never going to have a day when Jesus just kind of disappears. Because his promise was, I'm with you to the end of the age. You might wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but you're not going to wake up on the wrong side of Jesus, which I know sounds like something a preacher would say, but I'm a preacher. So 
I can get away with it. But here's the deal. We all know that we are called to go. We all know that we are called to make disciples, that we're to baptize people, that we're to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. We all know that we are to be telling our story. We're to be bragging on Jesus. We're to be bold and proud of the fact that we're followers of Jesus. We're, we all know that we need to be blessing people and sharing and, and, and trying to learn and pray and sacrifice and give and serve. We all know that. I have not said one thing tonight that you haven't agreed with. And granted, you might disagree on my uh, conclusion there, but as far as the doctrine, I haven't said one thing tonight that you're going to disagree with. But here's the interesting thing about us. And in all honesty, this whole deal so far for the last uh, 33 minutes, this whole deal has been to get to this one point. If you don't take anything else away from the night, if all you remember is my dog passed out on the floor back here, try to remember this. I know who my audience is. I know who I'm talking to. As I said, if you're not Bible scholars, you're at least Bible students. And here's the deal with us, myself included. We would never tell God no. I know who I'm talking to. You would never tell God no. You would never tell God, not ever. What we tell God is, not yet. Not now. I'm not telling you no, God. I'm not telling you not ever. I mean, someday. Someday for sure. But not today. Not yet. Not now. I'm not ready. I've got too much going on in my life right now. There's some things that I'm going to have to get straightened out. There's some things that I've got at my ducks in a row, and then, you know, work is just crazy, and, you know, these kids, and, uh, and now school is, like, chaotic, and there's just... Not yet. Not now. Again, this isn't your first Bible class. This isn't the first time you opened up your Bible. You'll never say not ever. We just tell God not now. Not yet. So here's my question. Here's my uh, last thing for you to think about. And I don't want you to think super huge picture. I want you to, to narrow it down. What's the one thing? There's probably a dozen things. But what is one thing that you know God has been calling you to do? The Holy Spirit has been nudging you in a direction. You know that there's just, and it might be different for every single person, but there's just something that God's put on your heart. And you feel it and you know it. And what's that one thing that you're not telling God no, you're just saying, not yet. Not now. You know, what's, the, what's that one thing? Where in your life have you been telling God, not yet? Well, maybe it's a, a relationship that you're in. And maybe it's just like, I am not willing to forgive that person. Not yet. I know I should. I know I should take the high road. I know it's eating me up inside, but I just can't get past it. I am not willing to forgive that person yet. I can't give it to God. Maybe it's a, a specific sin. Maybe it's a destructive habit that you know, and I don't have to tell you, nobody has to tell you. You know it's breaking God's heart. 
you know God's saying, listen, you live your life in holiness. You follow me. I'm going to bless you. Trust me, it's better. But you just kind of keep holding on to this sin. And you know you got to get rid of it. You know you've got to attack it and, and, and you know, just kind of head on. And you're going to. One of these days, I'm going to. I mean, it's not going to go on five more years. I'm going to address this. But not now. I'm not ready to yet. Uh, maybe it's just serving and loving and treating people the way Jesus would treat people. Maybe it's being kind to, to your wife, to your husband. Maybe it's just being gentle with your children. No, not yet. What's going on? Maybe it's the Great Commission. <laughs> it's not bury the lead here, right? No, we've been called to go and make disciples. We've been called to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been called to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And we're going to do that, right? We're going to make disciples. We're going to get involved in each other's lives. Not yet. Not right now. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that you know God is calling you to do that you just keep telling them, not yet? Uh, you know, we're experts at rationalization, aren't we? We are experts at self-deception. Again, if we wait till we feel like we're ready, you know, we're going to die waiting to be ready or feel ready. God's ready. Jesus sends 11 men out. 11 men who seem to be worshiping and yet also seem to be doubting. And Jesus says, I know. I get it. It's okay. I want you to go. Ready or not. I want you to go. Worshiping? Absolutely. Doubting? Perhaps. But I want you to go. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them all things I've commanded you. And here's the promise. You are not going to be alone. You don't have to have it all figured out. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So that's my thought for this evening. Uh, thanks for sticking with me. Um, I want to have a prayer for sure. But you just, had so many good comments. I oh, yeah. Heard. Thank you. Martha says just, just a whole lot of good comments. I never know if you can hear Martha. Uh, but uh, George texts, which I don't know if everybody can see it, that David Parkins had a stroke. Oh, boy. So okay. just make sure everybody. No. Uh, George and Martha's not sure. Did he text it or put it in the comments? It's in the comments, okay. but I don't know. I don't see yeah. everybody's comments. Okay. So. In case you missed it, uh, George letting us know that David Harkins had a uh, stroke. Uh, he, he turned a bit of a corner and doing better. So we want to keep David in our prayers for sure. Let me share with you a couple other. And um, um, Jan asked if we pray, pray for Bruce and Brian. Okay. Jan's asking us to pray for her uh, son and son-in-law, Bruce and Bryant. Um, uh, we want to sure, and I'm going to have a prayer here, but... Um, uh, Lenora's son, Clifford, has gone back in the hospital. We want to keep Clifford and Lenora in our prayers. Uh, Debbie Sharos had an accident last week. Actually, spent a couple of days in the hospital. And I didn't hear about it until she was out of the hospital. But she has uh, uh, some lacerations and some bruising on her face. And um, I think she fractured a vertebrae even. And uh, 
she's going to need some help with transportation. So uh, I think towards the end of this week, if, if you can maybe help her, some of you sisters especially, maybe a husband and wife, uh, you can get in touch with Debbie. Um, Susan Hudson's sister, uh, Joy, who is in the hospital waiting to get into rehab. Uh, we want to be prayerful for Rodland's parents, both her mom and her dad are going through some significant health challenges. And uh, Gloria uh, Baker also uh, has some procedures coming up that we want to be aware of and want to be prayerful with the with the Miltner family and with Roxanne's family as well. Both lost close family members uh, to COVID-19. I didn't mention that, yeah. Uh, so um, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer and then stick with me for just a second. Father, we are so thankful for the promises that you make and the fact that every promise you make, you keep. And Jesus' promise is that we don't have to be alone and that we won't be alone. So when we doubt and when we feel like we're not ready, uh, would you remind us that uh, you are more than ready and you're looking for people to step out on faith. Uh, so I pray that you would give us courage and you would give us the faith to do just that. Thank you for your word and thank you for the, the truth that we find in it. Father, I mentioned several people just a minute ago that are very near and dear to us at Bay Area. And all of these men and women, uh, sons and daughters, nieces and nephews, are people who need you in a special way. And I won't try to verbalize what that is. You know exactly what's needed. And we know you're going to do what a loving father does. So we place all of these health issues and all of these uh, very anxious situations in your hands and we thank you in advance for hearing this prayer and we thank you also for your patience with us thank you for your grace it's in jesus name that i pray amen hey couple quick announcements before we go um real important because it's coming up this weekend uh robbie and angie the youth group and the faith lane children's ministry are hosting a back to school drive the deadline is Saturday, and they're partnering, partnering with Shaw Elementary, which is where um, Rennell Mathurin is the principal, and also with Mango Elementary, uh, where Charlene Bridgewater is uh, an employee there, teacher there. Our neighbor. Um, Mango is our neighbors. Yeah, Mango is right across the road almost from, from Bay Area. Uh, so there are some specific items that are on the Bay Area Kids webpage. Uh, I think it's on BACC members as well. But here's the neat thing. And this is such a good idea. And I'm so glad whoever came up with the idea, probably Robbie and, and I'm sure it's Robbie and Angie. But instead of just, you know, showing up and dropping them off, um, they're, they are creating a window of fellowship opportunity this Saturday. Let me sure, make sure I get it right from four to six. Bring your school supplies to the church building between four and six o'clock and bring a lawn chair, bring a mask, we're gonna socially distance, but we're gonna have some fellowship. Uh, they've got some games for the kids. They've got a, a prayer walk. Uh, I think there's ice cream involved. Someone said, maybe I'm imagining that, but uh, maybe I want that to be true, but gonna be a couple hours that we can just get together and see each other uh, and be around each other, and we're going to do it as, yeah, we're going to do it uh, 
at an arm's length, but that'll be great. Also, if you would rather, you know, I just can't get out and, and buy that stuff, there is a link on our website that you can donate toward that effort as well. So um, school is especially tough this year. And this is gonna be a great opportunity to serve uh, some children and some children right in our neighborhood as well. You know, bring a lawn chair, bring that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, Martha's saying we need to be prayerful for our teachers and our students and our parents. Oh boy. Uh, you are in our prayers and uh, good luck. Um, I'm going to say this too, and I'm going to close with this. You need to go on the Facebook, Bay Area Kids Facebook page, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but you need to go on that Bay Area Kids page and you need to find Joanne and Micah and um, Samara uh, singing a song. It will bless your day. Uh, they, they said this is for all our kids and teachers and things, and I saw it last night, and uh, boy, did it put a smile on my face. So check that out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Thanks for staying with us. I hope you have a blessed rest of the week. We're going to be back virtually on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, be praying for our leadership as uh, decisions are still kind of in flux about what this whole thing is going to be. The list again for the school supplies. I know it's on our Facebook pages. It's on BACC members, and I'm, I'm almost sure it's on BACC kids. And I think it was in a, a Loa's. Um, and it was also in a Loa's Friday encouragement. Uh, it's also on Vital Concern. Um, and I'll say this. I keep, we keep mentioning Vital Concern. If you don't get Vital Concern updates on your phone or on your email, call the office. Aloha can hook you up with that now. So it's just the best way, I think, to keep track of what's going on. Prayer requests and announcements and updates, those kind of things. If you're not part of that, just call the office uh, in just a couple minutes, I don't know, a minute or two. Uh, you know, she can explain to you how to get uh, hooked into that. And, and I guess she's an administrator on that account now or something, but she can make that happen. And you really need to be taking advantage of that resource. Okay, I'm rambling. My dog's still asleep, so I'm going to leave. Thanks for being with us tonight. See y'all Sunday.